0: Toi te Arapuoru, Sounds. E ngā mana, mā, tēnā Kotokatoa. You're with the Moments in Time podcast series for sound centre for New Zealand music. Toi te Arapuoru, ko Charlotte Wilson aho. In 1917, three New Zealand boys, three brothers, went to war... Their names were Charles, Vince and James Francis. They were sent to the Western Front in Belgium and France and never came home. Two of them are buried in the Anzac Cemetery at Wimereux. Fast forward 100 years. Their great-great-nephew is New Zealand composer and percussionist Gareth Farr, writing a cello concerto, this cello concerto, as part of the centenary commemorations of World War I. He's writing it for French cellist Sébastien Hurtot, And he's named it after one of the most brutal battles of the war in what used to be one of the most peaceful places in all France, the Chemin des Dames.
1: Chemin des Dames is the name of an area in France near the city of Lens, which is northeast of Paris, a fair way out. It was the site of one of the worst battles of World War I, uh, where there were more than 100,000 casualties. But it has this um, fairly romantic association too, because Shemande Dam means pathway of the women. And centuries ago, it was a pathway where the princesses would walk from one palace to another. It's, it's a real dichotomy, because the, the battle site... Uh, if you see photos from the time of World War I, it is the most horrific, desolate um, landscape. Uh, entire villages were wiped out. They don't exist anymore. But now it is this beautiful, beautiful sort of pastoral landscape, lovely French countryside, and it, and it looks gorgeous. So it's hard to sort of reconcile those two images in your head, um, one being very romantic and uh, the other being absolute horror.
0: You've been there, Gareth?
1: I did. Uh, well, the first time I went to Paris to meet up with Sébastien, the cellist, the solo cellist, uh, who I'd, he'd heard a bit of my music and he loved it so much he said, write me something, I'll be your Rostropovich and you can be my Shostakovich. <laughs> and I said, you're on. So anyway, I went to Paris to meet uh, Sebastian, and he took me to the town where the premiere was going to take place. And it's a tiny little town, but it has this huge festival, the Long Festival. Uh, So he took me there to meet the festival director, but he also wanted me to see the um, Chemin des Dames area. Um, as a potential inspiration for the piece, so we went out there, and it's the most amazing thing. We went down into the the caves, the caverns, where the soldiers, both French and German, uh, took took shelter. They were natural caverns, but they've been dug out. Uh, and if you imagine that being where they were living. It is quite horrific, but you know, as a sort of a geological, um, a geological thing, they're they're actually quite astonishing and, and interesting.
0: A hundred thousand casualties, you said, and your great granduncles were three of those.
1: Yeah, all three of them went to battle. Went, you know, went from New Zealand to France in the last year of the war, and all of them were killed within months of each other.
0: Unbelievable. How old were they?
1: Babies. They were late teens, early 20s, you know, just sort of 19, 20, 21, that sort of age. My Their sister, my great-grandmother, was, as you can imagine, completely devastated and never really came right. They put her on laudanum. So my grandfather had a very strange upbringing with a mother that was sort of not really there, And you just forget, when you think of one war death, you forget that that means dozens of people. That means an entire family is devastated. Decimated, yes. Um, And a lot of them just never quite recovered. I mean, how do you you reconcile three of your baby brothers being wiped out in months?
0: And they were her only siblings? Yeah. How much do you know about them? Do you know what they looked like? Do you know what they were like as people? Yeah,
1: we have we have letters from them and they're they're fascinating but they're very very day-to-day um nuts and bolts they're not that romantic they're just you know it's an it's an insight into how how boring it is for them in the trenches just waiting but also boring and terrifying um coupled because mm. they're just waiting and waiting and waiting for for days And then all of a sudden, wham, everything happens and people start dying. And it's just the most unimaginable thing. And of course, the conditions in those trenches was so horrific. So for me, this piece fundamentally had to be about them because they are blood relatives and I didn't know anything about them. I didn't even know where they were buried. And since working on this project, which is... um, you know, it's getting on towards seven years now uh, that I've I've been thinking about it and then working on it and then researching. I actually went, when I was in uh, Brussels in Belgium, I went to the New Zealand Embassy uh, to ask them advice on getting it performed. And the ambassador was wonderful. She, she said, look, I'll look into this. So she actually went to archives and found so much information, um, found info that one of them was actually quite a naughty boy, <laughs> he Ooh, got wow. into a lot of trouble. He's the one who's buried in England. And James and Vince are both buried in France near Ypres. So there's an Anzac cemetery, which is amazing to think that those graves have been there for 100 years and it looks like they were put there last week. It's so yes. beautifully kept and the gravestones are pristine and it's it's lovely to see them being looked after so well, even though you know, they're never gonna come home. great-grandma also has a part in the piece, because she represents the women that were left behind, and there's a little tie to Shimande Dam there. I- inadvertent, because all of these sort of little multifaceted aspects of the title um, just started appearing as the piece developed, and even after then I've realised things that are connections. Um, also recently my father has um has produced a short book of poems about um, based on letters from his father in World War Two, sent back to him and my grandmother and um, And it's so much about Nana's experience of living in Devonport, next to the naval base in Devonport, terrified that that would be a target, Um, always worried that New Zealand would be invaded, and my father's turned them into poems, and and they're lovely. But again, just reminding me of of this, this whole experience of women who are, as you say, not often considered. I mean, of course, women went to war, but not very many and they were considered looking after the home front. Um, but that was a terribly, terribly traumatic thing to do. Uh, so with Shemande Dam, I really wanted to honour my grandmother, my great-grandmother, who was so profoundly affected uh, that she never really came right. Probably the, the slow movement, I would say, is about her. It's a very, very emotional movement and quite gentle, but, but it has an edge a sort of a sharp edge to it. Uh, And I intended that, and that's... that's her. I really wanted the cello to be a character. In the opening, the idea was that there was one single voice, human voice, crying out for help and nothing, no response, just an uncaring, like this sort of murky orchestral texture that it just continues and there's no response. And they cries out again, no response. And it's just this, this idea of this solitary pain that is um, unremedied unremediable uh and that was that's the whole opening that was the idea for that um and as a result i'd set that up so the slow movement again is a, perhaps there's more of a response in the slow movement because it's more impassioned and more romantic and and there's again as i said there's a there's a sharp edge to it but there's a sadness but a, a warmth as well and that's the warmth isn't the situation at the time. The warmth is coming from me and and my feelings about
0: it. I'm talking to composer Gareth Farr about his cello concerto, Shema de dames The work itself, did it come to you easily?
1: I find concertos, I've written a few now, and they're a fascinating thing to write because they're completely different from writing for a purely orchestral piece because there's so many things you have to consider. You have to consider... The soloist is, is obviously the main feature. You need to give them something virtuosic, within reason, you know. But also there's this massive thing of balance, orchestral balance. It is a tricky instrument because it's very, it's very um, centred around the middle of the piano. You know, singing register, um, middle C upwards, does cut through, but still it's quite a vocal range. Uh, and it is easily swamped. Um, there's the centuries old concerto grosso where it's solo tutti, solo tutti, solo tutti and it gets very predictable. So I do anything I can to avoid that. So the orchestra doesn't stop for the soloist. But of course, you know, when the soloist needs to be really focused on, you do have to be very careful with the orchestration. And and the first rehearsal of a concerto is always really funny because usually you do it without the soloist to make sure you iron out any orchestral problems before the soloist comes in because you don't want to be worrying about that. It's, it's this, this wonderfully sparse sort of... Silence, silence.
0: <laughs> Tell me about your gorgeous textures. I mean, you've got your hallmark percussion in there. And I'm wondering if that goes back to your love for Gamelan. It
1: absolutely does go back to my love for Gamelan. I I find that the... Um, I love orchestration. I, I am an orchestrator. I'm an instrumentation nut. And I... Um, Remember the very first time I heard gamelan was this 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 magical javanese was the first one I heard balinese not so much about texture it's about rhythm and virtuosity and speed and it's they have fewer sort of intermingling lines of of softer instruments which javanese absolutely specialises in and you get these wonderful textures where you can you can make out one line but it's mingling with another and these very soft metallic sounds. Um, you know, the the cliché is that gamelan sounds like flowing water in moonlight. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But um, yeah, texture is so important to me. And it's, and it's also, it's infinite. You can create so many different textures and then have something in the foreground um, riding over the top of it. And I just love that.
0: Yes. Would you say that texture is your favourite thing about music? Oh, I, I think
1: not... I think I would say that texture is hugely important to me, but layering is probably my favourite thing to do. Uh, making sure that there's a foreground, mid ground and background. And I'm always aware of that, just to stop it being two dimensional.
0: Where do you start in that process of composing?
1: Oh lordy. I don't I don't do much teaching, but when I do I often get the question, what do you do when you can't think of how to start the piece? And I said, oh, blank page syndrome. I get that. Because when you start a piece, the possibilities are so infinite that you go, well, okay. Often I I say to students, um, and I do this myself if I get really stuck, picture yourself in the audience, symphony orchestra on stage, ready to go, they do something, what is it? What do they do? What do you want them to do? You have absolute control over eighty people. Um, is it a massive, great gesture to start, or is it a delicate sort of texture where it slowly develops? Or and that really helps because it makes it tangible. It makes it a real thing that you're experiencing, rather than you know, ink on a page, which is not hugely expi- inspiring. Expiring <laughs> could be. Um, I find that. Good to remind myself that this will be a piece of music. And before you know it, blank page syndrome goes out the window. And it is a piece, and you know where it's going.
0: to Moments in Time for Sounds, Centre for New Zealand Music, about Chemin *Des Dames, the cello concerto by Gareth Farr, in tribute to the casualties of World War I. It could be said, Gareth, that another moment in time, critically important to you personally, was when you decided not to go full-time as a percussionist with the NZSO and concentrate on composing instead. Was that a difficult choice?
1: It's a long, long, long timeline of of slowly slowly realising that 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 sort of creativity um, is what I need yeah it it was um, probably mid early 90s that there was the possibility of auditioning for a full time percussion job and I thought about it and I thought if I do that then orchestra will be my entire life not as a composer, but as a performer. And I I have very different... I have two brains. <laughs> I have a performer's brain and a composer's brain. And if I'm doing any sort of performance on a particular day, then I can't get into composer brain. It's it's all or nothing. It's one or the other. Um, because performer brain is very extrovert. I love talking on the phone. I love having meetings. I love going into town. Um... That is not possible when I'm composing. I'm a hermit when I'm composing. I don't answer the phone. Um, I I find it hard work. I really do because I don't, I'm not a Mozart. It doesn't just come to me. Um, Well, having said that, some things just come to me. Images come to me. I can see the performer doing it. uh, And that really helps me because I'm a performer, I'm a player. And I, I want people to go, oh, this is well written for my instrument. I'm going to enjoy this.
0: I'm talking to composer Gareth Farr about Chemin de Dames, his cello concerto. This must also be the most contemplative. Thing you've written so far. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are we witnessing a turn in your composing?
1: I've had a lot of comments that basically that this is the best piece I've ever written, um, for whatever reason, uh, and I I do tend to agree. I really honed as much as possible every skill that I have gained from 25 years of writing for orchestra. But the early period is still there. Like, I like my bombastic, um, fairly simple uh, music that focuses on energy uh, that I I wrote in my 20s. I still love that, and it's still here. Um, I'm not getting old and boring. Um, However, I've just got more skills than I had then, and I like to use them... You know, my newer skills, I use them almost entirely in this concerto, which is why I think a lot of people have, hear it as quite different and more advanced. But, you know, this section towards the end, where it is just this, you know, tirade of um, fortissimo, fortissimo, the orchestra is the loudest tutti I have done in a very long time for a concerto it is what you would probably call over the top but that's me uh, and the orchestra suddenly stops and the cello is right at the very top of its register doing these downward glissandos. That is a, that's a throwback to earlier, earlier ideas that I used to have where you just go hell for leather and it's not about subtlety it's not about subtlety <laughs> but I can do subtle you know, a lot of people wouldn't believe me, especially at parties, but there you go.
0: You're proud of it, justly proud of it. Don't you wish your great-granduncles and your great-grandmother could have heard it?
1: I I do. I wish that they knew that sometime in the future they would be honoured by a piece of music. I don't know if they'd like it. <laughs> I remember my grandfather listening to a piece of mine on, on Radio New Zealand, and he patiently listened to the whole 15 minutes and he said afterwards he said well the boy's not going to replace Beethoven <laughs> and my mother sort of bit her tongue <laughs> and reported back to me I think that's hilarious but I mean good on him for listening to the whole thing uh, he didn't understand a note of it uh, so who knows who knows but I, I do like the fact that you know I'm not a religious or spiritual person so they're not here they're gone And I have no concept of what it would be like to be involved in a war, and I don't think I ever will. Um, I can only vicariously uh, experience through through their related experiences. But I do like the fact that they are being honoured, and I know, I know that they're being honoured.
0: Chemin des Dames, Chala Concerto by Gareth Farr, commissioned for the centenary commemorations of World War I. We've been listening to the recording by Chalice to Sebastien Horto and the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Benjamin Northey, with thanks to Rubicon Records. And thank you for listening. This podcast was presented and produced for Sound Centre for New Zealand Music, Toi Te Arapuoru, by me, Charlotte Wilson, with sound engineering by Phil Brownlee. To hear more about Gareth Farr and Shiman De Dam, and for more information, go to the Sounds podcast website, sounds.org.nz. That's S-O-U-N-Z. No re ra. Tēnā koutou. Tēnā koutou. Tēnā katoa voice sounds